Well, good morning. We are going to have communion at the end of the service, and that's why if you don't have one of these, you want to make sure you get one. Uh, also, it's our time. this is the Sunday we're going to do extended time of prayer. So, you know, if there's something that's going on in your, in your life, um, we want to take the time to pray for that today. Well, I want to begin today with a, um, you know, a video clip of this very interesting little girl that I found. Uh, actually, um, this is my granddaughter, and my son posted this clip to the family, and we think she's adorable. We love everything she does, but it's just us, right? He also posted it to his Instagram account, and he got 1.7 million views. Eleanor? Whoa, that shocks me. But you got to see it. Here, let's, let's look at this clip. Okay. Eleanor? You're my niece. No. No? Niece. Oh, you have a niece? You have a niece? Oh. Okay. Eleanor, you're my niece. No. No? Niece. Oh, you have a niece? You have a niece? Oh. Okay. Eleanor, you're my niece. No. No? Niece. Oh, you have a niece? You have a niece? Oh. She's only two years old, but she's got her own opinion. She is not a knee. She has no idea what a niece is. It'll be a while before she figures that out. But she's bold to tell everyone what she knows. And this was shared. How does something collect 1.7 million views? I'll tell you, it, it, something that goes viral. How does something go viral? You know, the people who like it share it with a few of their friends. A few of their friends, if they think it's nice, share it with a few of their friends. And then this just keeps going and going and going until you've got 1.7 million people that have looked at this video clip. Now, honestly, I probably have looked at it 50 times, so you can discount that to some degree for sure. You know, human beings are curious. We want to know the news. We want to share the news. When something's going on or something important is happening, we, we want to know about it. We want to hear about it. And Mark, when he writes his gospel, he's writing what he considers the greatest news of all time. Jesus changed the world. And Mark knew about this. Mark tells the story from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16. The Holy Spirit led him to write it down. But this is incredible news. In John and Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, it says this. Now, after John was put in prison, remember John was the one who baptized he baptized Jesus. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what was the sum total of his message? I know he had a lot more words to say, but Mark is a man of few words and he's straight to the point. And this is the message. Repent and believe the gospel. Would you say that with me? Repent and believe the gospel. Now, when Jesus says the time is now fulfilled, what he's saying here is, hey, listen, I got breaking news for you. I mean, this time that is now fulfilled 
has been planned and executed for hundreds of years, and it, is, it has been spoken of through the prophets of old all the way until now. But breaking news, it is time. Something is happening. The time is fulfilled. What is happening now is going to change absolutely everything. Uh, pay, sit up and pay attention. Uh, the eternity is going to depend on this. Don't sleep through this news. Don't ignore this. Don't go on with life as if everything is as usual. This is an absolute change point in history. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. God has come. It's important to remember that when Jesus was preaching, he was preaching to an audience of people who had known about God for generations. In fact, it was their prophet Moses that wrote in Genesis chapter one, the simple statement that God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we live, in, we live on a, the third planet from the sun. Take a look at this picture. Okay, we're, we're the third planet from the sun. And human beings have had a tendency to think that everything revolves around them. I mean, people used to see the sun, the moon, the stars, and they concluded that all of these planets revolved around planet Earth. Later we learned, and all of us have grown up with the understanding, that they're not going around the Earth. The Earth is going around the sun. That's the way this works. We aren't the center of our galaxy. The sun is. And in fact, we are one of hundreds of galaxies with hundreds of stars, and this God that created the heavens and the earth rules, rules sovereignly over all. It is bigger and more magnificent than we had ever imagined. And we, we are made uh, in, in his image, we are given the ability and the capacity to think. We can love, we can hate, we make choices. Um, this God who created all things has now come in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. The important statement there is the kingdom. God is the king. God is the king. And whether you and I choose to obey him, to follow him, to depend on him, does not change his status or his power. But it does change our experience. Because when we refuse to acknowledge that he is God, when we decide we'd rather live in rebellion against him as king, rather than to surrender to him as king, it absolutely changes our lives. And the good news is that he has come for us. He is the good shepherd that seeks to come close, to shepherd us, to guide us, to walk with us, to care for us. That's the good news. The climax of this story is that God chose to become a man and in the person of Jesus, he put on flesh. And our decision is whether or not we will repent. Our fundamental problem is this. We all would rather be our own king. We don't wanna to submit to another king. But Jesus comes, and the good news is the king has come, 
and he is more concerned, more benevolent, more generous and merciful and forgiving and more willing to invest in your life every single day of your life to walk with you through all of the difficulties and the struggles and to never give up on you. I mean, the good news is that when you make him your king, you are going to be in a good spot. He's a much better king of this world than you can be. Repent. Surrender to him. You know, one of my favorite stories about who's the king and who's in charge is the story of little Johnny who goes to kindergarten. So he goes to kindergarten, and during the day, the teacher instructs all the class to sit down, except for Johnny doesn't want to sit down, so he stands up. And the teacher goes over to little Johnny and says, Johnny, it's time for the class to sit down. You need to sit down. He says, I don't want to sit down. She said, well, you're going to have to sit down or I'm going to call the principal and maybe we'll call your mom. So Johnny reluctantly sits down, looks straight into the eyes of his new kindergarten teacher and says, I might be sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm still standing up. You know, the truth is, we have a big tendency to be little Johnny. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We don't really always want God to be the king. We want to give into our ideas, our goals, our desires, our passions, our appetites. We don't want another king to tell us what we can and can't do. And we kind of actually get angry when we, we manage our own life and our plans don't go well, things go wrong, we make decisions and it destroys the relationships in our lives and things begin to fall apart. And the amazing thing is we often then get angry at God for how bad things are in our lives. So we're, we're a little conflicted. We want God to be God, but we don't want him to tell us what to do. And when we become our own king and mess things up, we still want to blame him. And this is, the, this is the plight of man. The question that we have to answer is, would we be willing to repent to acknowledge that the king has come and his rule is better than anything you and I could ever think of? His ways are right. They're righteous. They work. This is the theme of Mark. With that single statement, he then begins to develop a, st a story to support everything that he's talking about. And he gets pretty quickly to the point in Mark, chap Mark chapter 8, 31, 9, 31, and 10, 34. He tells what the plan's gonna be. Jesus was gonna be rejected by the leaders. He would suffer and then he would die and three days rise again. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, I think this is the theme verse of the, of the whole book. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's the good news? 
The good news is that this king has come to serve us. And in fact, he has chosen to give his life as a ransom for us. He would take on him, on himself, he would take our sin. He would pay the price of our sin so that he could redeem us and change us and call us to himself. It all begins with this idea of repentance. Admit I'm wrong. I've made a mess. I don't need to be the king of my life. I need help. And the good news is, help has come. You know, what's interesting is this whole idea of repentance is a, is a decision that we make. I, I do talk to people here in the Ozarks that understand most of this stuff, or they have some sort of a level of understanding. They went to church one time, they prayed a prayer one time, and then their lives continue to go down a path that is full of bad things, they mess up, things go wrong, and they're confused. You know, the idea of repentance is saying, God, I, I, I make you the king. I step down from the throne. I put you on that throne. I make that decision today. And I will live out that decision every day for the rest of my life. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a very good man, but he needed to repent. He needed to make God king. He needed to walk away from the idea that his good works was going to save him. His own personal righteousness was going to work for him. I mean, he was a good man, no doubt. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He was telling him, you need to repent. You, there needs to be a point in your life where you change, where you make God the king. One of my favorite stories is the story of the thief on the cross. This guy is definitely the opposite of Nicodemus. He's made a lot of bad decisions. He's dying on a cross for his crimes. It just so happens that beside him is Jesus. And then another criminal. And there's a conversation that takes place between the three of them. This thief eventually comes to his senses. And he, he rebukes the other thief and says, why are, you, why are you demanding that he get off the cross and save us? Don't you know, this man has done nothing to deserve this crucifixion. You and I, we have done plenty to deserve this. And then he cries out to Jesus, and he makes a statement. Today, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, today you'll be with me in paradise. How good of news was this good news? It was good enough to, enough to save a thief on the cross who in that moment repented and turned his life over to Jesus. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, one of the best chapters in the Bible, if you can have a favorite, maybe this could be one of them. Beginning in verse one. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Now notice what's going on here. He says, here's the truth about all of you. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You lived your life like everybody else. I mean, you... you you conducted yourselves uh, according to your desires of your flesh, of your mind, and you actually were children of wrath. You are deserving of the wrath of God against those who violate his righteousness and his holiness. But that's not the end. He goes on. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I sometimes just think about that verse. He saved us so that he can pour out on us the exceeding, listen to the wording, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. You and I have no idea what's about to come. We have only begun to taste the goodness and the kindness of God. Why is this good news? Because the king has come, come, and we are a mess. And we are naturally the children of wrath. But this king decided to come to step into this world, to inter intervene, and he wants to save us and change us so that he can pour out his mercy, his grace, and his kindness on us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why is this good news? This is good news because the king has come to rescue us. Because he loves you. Because he paid for you. Because he's got the riches of his kindness waiting to pour on you. This is good news. You know, I think one of the greatest things about this relationship we have with God is that even in the dark nights of our souls, do you ever have those nights? Where it dawns on us that we are, we've got ongoing struggles. Life is hard. Things are scary. My personal failures are bigger than I can even handle. And this king, though, says, don't worry, it's good news. I, you've made me your king I will not give up on you. I will walk with you through this trouble. 
You know, when our marriage is in trouble, we need to keep surrendering to the king. Don't call the divorce, divorce lawyer. Get on your knees and submit to the king and tell him you don't know what to do and ask for his help and re be reminded that with him nothing is impossible. When the dark night of your soul is because your children are in a bad place and you don't, you don't, and you don't give up because you, know, you feel like giving up because you just wonder if godliness will ever be a part of their lives. But you continue to believe in the transforming power of the king and the fact that he is still at work. Maybe some of you, when you're on the college campus and you know that your professor would ridicule your faith in God and your decision to live a life of obedience and faith that is quite different than many of the people around you, you, you don't fear because you know that the king has come and his power and his truth will guide and protect you even in that moment and lead you forward. And those who disagree, though they seem pretty powerful in the moment, are nothing compared to the authority and the power of the king you serve. You actually believe that the spirit of God could move in even that man or woman's heart to lead them to understand and embrace Jesus. And in fact, the pressure you feel is actually the evidence of the power of your testimony and the effectiveness of your steady, respectful, gracious influence. The king gives you power to not give up and to keep living and speaking truth in the darkness. This is a relationship. You refuse to give up in your struggle with your addiction. You know the bad thing about all the addictions I hear people talk about? They're persistent. They, they do well for a while, and then they fall back into it. And the question is, will the king now cast us out, or will he stay with us? Will he forgive me yet one more time? And the good news is, he is the king. He is committed. If you have repented and chosen to follow him, he is committed to see you through to the end. He will work with you to secure your freedom. Whatever topic you want to talk about, this king, he's not against you. He is for you. Don't hide from him. Seek him. Whatever your struggle is, the good news is, as Ephesians concludes, we are his workmanship. We're his work. He's still working on us. And if I make him my king, he never gives up on the vision that he has for us. The good news is, once you belong to him, he's always there. You know, we live every day in the middle of our struggles we live in the tension that exists in our sinful desire to be our own king. And then we have to remind ourselves, oh no, I need to get off the throne and I make him my king. 
do you ever forget who the king is? This king understands. And in fact, Jesus told his disciples um, in Luke 9, 23, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you see that Jesus understands the tension and the struggle and the difficulty? This king is not shocked that you're struggling. This king is not shocked that you failed again. This king says, I will be with you every day. Take up that cross one more time. Let's keep going. I am not done. You remain my workmanship. The object of my love and affection and my grace and my mercy is extended to you every single day. So come on. This is the king. Second thing that we see in this passage is that he immediately, Jesus immediately declares his strategy. Um, he, he was preaching, but he wants this message to go viral. Just like little Eleanor's little clip. And it goes viral when the people who have made Jesus their king shares this with the people around them. Jesus declares, as he calls Simon and Andrew, his brother, who were fishermen, and then John and James, and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to hear and live in the good news, and now I want you to come with me. And I want you to fish for men. Guys, we're taking this to the world. You share with people who will share. And we're going to keep this going because I want the whole world to know. You know, next week we are going to have our, our World Project Mission Conference. We support over 160 missionaries and missionary projects around the world. How do we do that? Okay, I'm going to tell you. How do we do that? We ask you uh, to take a commitment card next week and to, to, to fill it out. Okay, every month I'm going to give a dollar. Every month I'm going to give $50 or $100 or every week or every two weeks when I get paid, I'm going to, so, and, and, and we, there's no name on this, but we ask you to make a commitment. Why do we do it that way? Because I think it's so much more exciting than to just let missions be a line item in the budget that nobody ever knows about and participates with. You get what I'm saying? Every week I put money in the offering and it helps to support missionaries because I want this message to go viral. And we've got 160 plus missionaries and more coming who will take this message to the world. You know, I, I, I come from a missionary family. When I was six years old, my mom and dad took me, my brother, and my sister and we, we got on the board, board a ship in San Francisco 
and sailed under the Golden Gate Bridge 21 days to the Philippines because they were, they were, they were convinced that God had called them to be missionaries. I mean, you talk about leaving their nets and their family behind. Man, here we were, five of us on this ship going across the world, a place none of us had ever been. A place, this was before satellite communication. Telephone calls were so expensive, one or two minutes could cost you two or three hundred dollars. We didn't have email. We didn't have satellite TV. The world was far away. And my parents felt so convinced that God wants this message to go to all the world as Mark concludes his his gospel with this instruction. (laughs) They got on that ship. It's only now as an adult I look back and realize what an incredible moment that was for my dad and mom. Now they're both in heaven today. My mother died five years ago today. But they they gave their life to take this message viral. And they told us as kids, the most important thing you will do in your life is to serve God. And we believed them. And um, it is incredibly humbling to see how God took an ordinary family like ours and now for a couple generations and even a third, he uses us more than we deserve. My brother, who spoke a few weeks ago, um, gave me a plaque this last week. It, it was a plaque because in his ministry, he has a youth camp that has 100,000 or more every year young people who go to camp. And every year they preach the gospel and people respond. And he's been doing this for 20 years now. And this last year, his ministry reached a milestone. According to their records, as best as they know, they've seen a million people accept Christ. No way. How does God do that with an ordinary family who got on a ship one day and said, we're going to go? Because it's God who's doing it. And he's quite amazing. There are churches now all over the world, Cambodia, Africa. I can't even name them all. And this church is the church that sent my family out. And we're just one. What's his strategy? I want you all to tell the good news, he says. How do we do that? Well, next week we're going to have a missions conference and we're going to invite everybody to do something. Because at the end of life, 
what's really going to matter is did we do the job he called us to do. You know, I want us, <clears throat> I want us to take communion together and remember this God who came and preached he gave his life this was a real man with a real body who went to a real cross and endured pain and suffering the agony and the shame the abandonment the betrayal because he was going to endure it all to save us. So if you'll take your, your communion uh, cup, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So here's the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body was broken for you. Because you can't find a king as good as this. Only Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that we could be saved. Love of this magnitude is transformational. Would you join me? Let's pray and thank God.